Good morning again. Uh, we've been on a kind of like a series of messages out of the book of Deuteronomy. And we're talking about having a new start. And truly the way that you can have a fresh new start, the first message was owning your past so that you can change your future. A lot of times we don't want to deal with the past. We don't want to deal with what happens in the past. But sometimes we have to revisit the past in order to be free from the past so that we can move on into the future. And the second message was uh, cultivating a good fear. In other words, when you, you know, when I was growing up, I tell the story about, you know, in, in our household and, and most families, when it was thundering and lightning and raining, you know, people would say God is at work and they taught us to fear God. There were certain things that we didn't do around God's house and certain things we didn't say and certain actions and attitudes. And, and we were taught to wear our best and to act and to be our best. And, and it taught us to fear God. But then if you cultivate a good fear, it will lead, that fear will lead you to love him. Once you get to know him, you, you'll love him. Which took us to the next message, which is Deuteronomy chapter 5 as well, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus added this to it, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he's kind of taking us on a journey. Deuteronomy takes us on a journey, and it takes us from owning the past to cultivating good fear and then loving God. So today, we want to go to tell your children why. Tell your children why. Let me say this to you. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it basically says, revere Christ in your heart. And then it says, so that when people see that you have hope and they will ask you, why do you have this hope in you? In other words, every one of us should live a life that brings questions to somebody. Why are you so happy? Or why do you have this hope? Or why are you always joyful? We should have something in our lives that actually make people want to question us. And so what Moses is telling the people in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 through 21, it says, in the future, in the future, it didn't say if, it said when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? He said, tell them, tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, he's saying now, he's saying there's going to come a day, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, he said there's going to come a day that your children are going to ask you some questions. And we need to be able to tell our children why. We need to be able to tell them why. Why 
if I extend myself in serving the Lord, this, this, this is a question. What will be the impact on my family? You remember what I told y'all last week when I first got saved, when I first gave my life to Christ? I, uh, I carried my Bible everywhere. Even if we got stuck in traffic, I would stop and read my Bible. And this lady, she saw me doing this, and she said, you keep reading that Bible, that way it's going to drive you crazy. And so when she said that, I thought to myself, this scripture came to mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Why would he tell me to do that? And then if I do it, it drives me crazy. So I concluded that the person that was telling me that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the impact? What is the impact that if I love the Lord, the God, my God, with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, what impact will it have on my family? Will it hurt my children? Will it hurt my children? A lot of folks think you can go too far. You can go too deep. You can get too far gone. But you want your life to count, but you got a family. And sometimes there's a tension between these two things. There's a, there's a question sometimes. I'm not saying it's a, it's a good question, but there is a question. There are some questions that people raise. You love your children, you want to be a good mom, you want to be a good dad, but guess what? What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength when you're married and when you got children? What does it look like? And I'm sure y'all, man, y'all want to know, don't you? <laughs> uh, here we go. I want you to see from scripture today that if you choose to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, trust me, believe me, your family will be blessed. There is no question about it. There is no doubt about it. Your family will be blessed. The best way to serve your family, the best way to love your family is to love the Lord. Any other choice will be destructive. And I want you to see this in Scripture. I'm not just telling you this. I want you to see it in Scripture, how it works. Here's the principle. Love the Lord first and the family be blessed. Love the family first and the family will suffer. Love the Lord first. And your family will suffer. Love the, family first. Love the Lord first and your family will be blessed. Love the family first and your family will suffer. Amen. Let's see how it works in practice. The great irony of putting the family first. What is it? Moses is speaking to a new generation. Think about what I told you. This is a brand new nation. Everybody in this nation is 58 years old minimum. They've been in the wilderness 48 years. And, and, and the oldest people are about 58 years old. And so they are on the verge of going into the promised land. Forty years earlier, God had called their parents to step forward and go into the promised land. Everybody remember that story. And the spies went out and they reported. This is what the spies came back and said. It is a good land. It is flowing with milk and honey. But guess what? Giants are there. When I read that scripture, when I read that story, it actually said that it took two men to carry the grapes. Yeah. 
two with a stick. Two men to carry. I guess we 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 we, we got raisins now. <laughs> if it took two men to carry grapes, we got to be having raisins, and we calling them grapes. But he said the land is good, and he said it's flowing with milk and honey. But there are giants there, and the city is massively fortified. This is a story they brought back. This is what they came back and said. And when the parents heard that report, guess what they did? They turned back. They turned back. They wandered in the desert for the next 40 years. I remember when I said, when I said if, if you were heading to Auburn, and it was seven miles away, and 40 years later, you still hadn't made it to Auburn, something's wrong, isn't it? That's how these people were. They were 11 miles, 7 miles, whatever it was from the promised land. And then 40 years later, they still hadn't made it. They wandered around in the wilderness 40 years because the parents heard the report and turned back. But there was two reports. Joshua and Caleb said, we're more than able. We can take the land. The 10 spies says, the 10 spies said that they are we are grasshoppers in their sight and in our own sight. In other words, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. So when these people turned back, why did they make this decision? Why did they refuse to go up to Canaan? Got to be many factors. Got to be a good reason. But we get a fascinating insight into what they were thinking. What were these people thinking? Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 39 says this. Please read this slow with me. It says, and the little ones that you said would be taken captive. This is God talking to them now. He said, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. Let me read the first part of that verse again. And the little ones, the little ones that's right. that you said would be taken captive. So here's the reason. Mm -hmm. The parents, when God told them to take the land, take the promised land, they said our children will be taken captive. Our children would be taken captive. And here's God's promise to the, those children. Your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. In other words, those little babies, they're going to grow up. They, they'll be the ones to take the land. You could read from that until they're going to be out there in the wilderness a while. Amen. That's right. So... The spies came back and said, there are giants in the land. And the parents said, what? This is too far. It's too great a risk. Too far, too great a risk. We have little children. We got to think about what's best for them. If we go into the land, our children will be take, taken captive. This is what they say. I understand that. I understand what they're saying. But this one right here will blow your mind. The risk is too great. 
This is what they were literally saying. The risk is too great. We cannot do what God says. We got little children. In other words, they're saying, they're saying, God don't know what he, he God must not have factored in that we had children. He didn't know we had these babies when he told us this. So here's what most parents do. They try to be God for their children. Because God obviously can't know what he's doing. If he, if he knows that that city is fortified and there's giants in the land, why would he want me to put my children in danger? So he can't know. He can't understand. And guess what? They put the children first and look at what the result was. The children they tried to protect spent the largest part of their lives wandering in the desert. Think about this, man. They, those children could have been eating those big grapes, living on milk and honey, living in better houses instead of living in a tent. But because their parents made a decision, supposedly in the best interest of the children, they caused the children to be in the desert for 40 years. So what is the desert? It's to place isolation. I'm not where I came from, and I'm not where I'm going. It's to place a revelation. It's an opportunity for you to see who God is. It's a place of minimal provision. Think about the land was flowing with milk and honey. But this is a place of minimal provision. They had to learn to trust God for what? Manna. Water. And when they got tired of eating this manna, what is it? They asked God for meat. And God said, because you complained about what I gave you, I'm going to give you meat till it run out of your nostrils. And so they, they're in the desert. They're in this place of isolation, separation, revelation. A place where I can see who I am. And this is what they're dealing with. This is what they're dealing with. This is what they're going through. So here's the great irony. If the parents had put the Lord before the children, the children would have been raised in a land flowing with milk and honey. But because the parents put the children before the Lord, the children spent the largest part of their lives wandering in the desert. Now, let me say to you, what choice are you going to make? We have the same opportunity to make decisions that will affect the lives of our children. Whether to obey God and take the land or to think that you know better than God and live in the desert for 40 years. So, by putting the children first, 
The parents did themselves and their children a great disservice. The parents and the children, they both did them a great disservice. So, don't live for your spouse or your family. Putting the children first is the worst thing that you can do for your children. What about, the, and the best way to serve your family is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the same is true of marriage. The same is true of marriage. Who holds first place in marriage? Who holds first place in marriage? Wives, don't desire to be first in your husband's life. Don't desire to be first. Desire that he would love Christ first. And if he loved Christ with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, guess what? He's going to love you well. Even when you are unlovable. He's going to love you well. But if you want, want if, but, but if you are first in his life, then you've taken the place of God. And guess what? There, that's a burden too big for you to carry. You are going to mess it up. You're going to fail. You're going to have disappointment in that area. We cannot, we should not put our spouse above God. Husbands, by all means, buy a card for your wife that says I love you, but don't buy a card that says I live for you. Don't buy one that says I live for you, because if you do that, guess what? That's idolatry. You make them an idol. See, sometimes we don't, we, we don't understand that putting God first does not mean that everybody else is neglected. It literally means that if I put God first, everybody else is going to live better. Everybody else is going to be 100% better off. If you live for your wife or live for your husband, you make yourself an idolater. And you place a burden on them that they cannot sustain. They cannot sustain it. They cannot make it. They cannot live up to it. Not love. It's destroying the thing that God wants to build. And only God can be God to you. Let me say this to you. You know, my wife said all the time, she said, she said, my husband worked, but God is my provider. It's critical that you keep that separate now. It's critical that you keep it separate. I'm there at night, but let me tell you something. God the one going to have to protect her. Because I'm subject to get in the closet when the burglar come in. <laughs> don't don't go looking for, looking looking at me. You know we we were at work we was at work talking the uh, the other night and and I forgot who I was talking to but this guy he was telling me he was he was saying Isaac now that you are the I'm basically the second shift plant manager. I'm over everything, everybody. And he said, now, if something happened in here, because I was telling him we need to keep the doors closed. And he said, something happened in here. He said, now, you're going to have to make sure everybody get out safe. I told him, I said, they taught me three things. 
run, hide, fight. And I'm going to do the first one. Run. And Roy, you better do the same. <laughs> if you're looking for me to save you, make sure you know Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. We should not be looking to our spouse as our, I mean, God uses me to provide. But I'm, if anything happens to me, God is still has to be her source. If she make me her source, I mean, I'm, I'm temporary. I'm temporary. I could literally die. Will die. Then what if you put all your hopes in an individual or a person? Then what happens? So, children, how much do you love them? How much do you love them? The same principle holds true for children. Look now, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, and that includes your children. Now, Matthew 10, 37 says this. This is why our Lord said, anyone who loves the son, his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, when, I, when, I, when, when you read scripture, you've got to be careful and cautious because sometimes it'll make it seem as if you're throwing them away. Some people read it and that's what they literally do. You know, when, when it says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your father and mother, it's not talking about, you know, I've got to go, I literally hate them. What he's telling us is, he's telling us that the love that you have for me is going to be so great that it's going to look like hate that you have for them. He's not telling you to hate them. So, if you let your children have first place in your heart, first place in your life, first claim on your money, you made them an idol. You made them an idol. And I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know that this is somewhat hard to take. But just hold on. We always come to a good end. We make them an idol. Now, if you make them an idol, what are you teaching them to do? You're teaching them to worship themselves. Now, let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. When I studied this and read this, it helped me to understand what's going on in the world today. That's exactly why you have people at work that think they came to work and everything's supposed to be set up for them because the parents have made them an idol. And they think that they are supposed to be worshipped. They think that they are supposed to have their way. Why? Because the parents, instead of going to, to the school and whipping the child's butt, they want to go whip the teacher. Instead of going and trying to chastise the child, they trying to chast. And when you know that little joke was bad, <laughs> you know he's bad. You know that he what he's doing at school, he's doing it at home. 
Don't get to school. Don't get up there and act like, I've never seen him do that. Come on. This is brand new. And I'm going to tell you, this is, man, I'm telling you, when I saw this, I said, that's what the problem is. They have made these children idols. And they are teaching them to worship themselves. They have no discipline. You got to, man, I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I have ne and never in my lifetime. And I'm sure my mama, when she looked at us, she said, Lord, have mercy. And I'm sure when her mama looked at them, she, they said, Lord, have mercy. And every generation look at the next generation, and they said, Lord, have mercy. But I'm looking at this generation, and I'm saying, Lord, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I, have, I, I have never in my life seen anything like it. I have never seen anything in my life where people are willing to put their jobs on the line. You got to tell them 50 times, and they still do the same thing. You keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them. You write them up. I seen people on their last write-up for having their phone out, and I walk out there, and guess what they got? And I'm like, you know why? Because they think they're idols. They think they're there to be worshipped. They think that, the, you know, and I, I've never seen this in, in, in a generation. You know, people go to work now, and if, 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 if my job is to hold this box, and you ask me to hold this flower, I'm quitting. <laughs> it pay the same thing to hold a box as it do the flower, and neither one of them is hard. That says that I'm a God, and I come here to do what I want to do, not what you want me to do. And it's sad. It's sad. I'm going to tell you something. The reason why things are the way they are is because the parents have put the children before the God, before God. They put them before God, worshiping the, the children. When Satan came in the garden, he said, you're going to be like God. Get what? They lost paradise. He made them lose the blessing God had for them. When the Lord came down on the mountain and said, you should have no other God for me, guess what? They gained the promised land. People got to stop. See, we got to stop choosing our children, our spouse, our family, over God. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to neglect their family. Love your family. Take care of your family. But see, we got we we to make sure we do it right. Don't live for your family. Don't live for your spouse. Because you want to come to the place where you can be like Paul. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. That's the mindset that you want to obtain. Align your life around one consuming passion for the Lord. Now, this is critical. This is critical. This is critical. And, you know, sometimes it seems, you know, like that lady was saying to me, sometimes we think that 
Let me say this. Because people have made such a mess out of it, we think that that's the wrong way to go. But it's not. It's not. It's the right way to go. For 40 years, the little ones whose parents they try to protect from the risk of full obedience, guess what? They mature adults now. They're in midlife. And guess what? They got children now. And they suffered because their parents put them first. They suffered because their parents put them first. Think about if their parents had to say it. If the Lord God said we can take the land, we are going to take it. Not what they said. What they say? They said our, our little ones may be taken captive. In other words, God, you don't know what you're doing. There's no way we can go. There's no way we can take the land. Our children will be in jeopardy as if God didn't know they had children. Don't you know they took, they took, they took Jericho and never fired a shot, never lost a soul? And this same God could have took them into the promised land, helped them overcome the giants, and never lost a child. That's right. That's the truth. But they decided to put their children first, and because they did, the children and them suffered for 40 years. You must choose how you will live. You got to choose how you're going to live. Now, now Moses bring this new generation to the verge of the promised land. I want you to see this in the mind. These little ones have now become parents. Amen. These little children, now they parents. And guess what? They got children. Got children of their own. The giants are still in the land. The city is still fortified. And God is causing this generation to enter the promised land. Now, this generation, they know it's going to be costly. How many folks know that it's costly sometimes to obey God? I remember Jewish, I remember reading stories about Jewish people because the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah or he was the Christ because they were looking for a Messiah or a Christ that would come and overthrow the Roman government. And when he didn't do it, they said, that's not him. And when their family would go and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, a man actually wrote this story. He said his mama's hand was on him around his wrist. And he said he had to, one by one, peel his mama's fingers off of him so he could go follow Jesus. I'm telling you, it's costly sometimes. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. You have to make choices and decisions. You got to choose. Just like God told those people, choose this day who you're going to serve. You got to make a choice. And so Moses tells them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Your parents didn't do that. They had faith, but they didn't have what? A mission. They had faith, but they did not have what? A vision. They put the children first, 
And look what it did for you or did to you. It caused them to roam around in the desert for 40 years. Let me say this. The decision the parents make in following God can be a lifetime decision for you and your children. Sometimes we don't want to do what God tells us to do. Sometimes we think we know better than God. That's what they did. They figured they knew better than God. They figured God didn't know how to take care, that, that God can't take care of children in battle. Don't you know how many wars that people God fought? And God was able to keep the generations and keep people and keep them alive? Now you're standing here with your little children and you have to choose how you are going to live. They seem to have hearted love for the Lord for the, that they, their parents had and they saw how toxic it was for, that, for them, for their children. So now what are you going to do? Deuteronomy 5, 29. Look what it says now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Do it so that it will, it will go well with you and what? And your children. God said if you'll do that, It'll go well with you and with your children. Aligning is not prioritizing. Sometimes we think we got to prioritize life. Align your life around a consuming passion for the Lord. Aligning is of your, aligning your life around a single passion is not the same as prioritizing your life. You know how people will say, I was watching a movie one time. It said, he said, God, it was weird how he said it. He said, God, I believe he said, the country, Marine, and then family. I, he, he was all jacked up. But it's not prioritizing. Look what people say sometimes. God first, family second, ministry third. So how can you separate loving God from serving God? This is, what, this is what we fail to understand. If you put God first, everything else is going to fall in place. If you put him first, all of your other actions are going to line up. Because everything he says, he gives you direction and instruction on Ephesians 6. says what? Husband, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, purify it, cleanse it. With the washing of water. And the, he, he tells us giving, uh, he tells the man to give himself for his wife. Like he did for the church. He tells the father, don't provoke your children to anger. He's giving direction on how I need, if I love him first, then he's giving me this direction on how I need to love my family. And then he tells me, he says, servants, obey your masters according to the flesh. Not with our service as men, please, but with sincere, sincerity of heart, fearing God. Work is unto the Lord, not as unto men. That if I put him first, then everything else will line up because he is number one in my life. And so we can't prioritize. We can't, we can't put God first, family second, ministry third, and try to line things up, we got we to gotta make our alignment with the Lord first. Everything else will fall in place. 
Loving the Lord is seen in obeying his commands and devoting your life to serving him. Christ does not lay claim to part of your life, but all of your life. All of your life. And your family. And your family. They all belong to him. If you read the scripture, it says children are the heritage of the Lord. In other words, they belong to him. They belong to him. The only reason he gave them to you because he wanted you to raise them in the ways of the Lord. Amen. Teach them his ways. So aligning is not balancing. You know, you hear people say all the time, you know, it's got to be a balance. It's got to be a balance. You can't be all Lord. You can't be all family. You got you to gotta balance it. You got to balance things. This is what happens when you balance. When the issue of loving God and loving your family is raised, people often say, well, we have to keep a balance. That's kind of what that lady was telling me. She was kind of telling me, you know, don't go all the way. If you go all the way, you're going to go crazy. You know, kind of got to keep a balance. You know, they, they, they used to tell me, you got to have some fun. Why do people think the Christian life is, I, well, we did it. We did it. People think the Christian life is not fun. They think the Christian life is, is just boring. We walking around like little rigid soldiers. and You know, we worried about missing a step or missing a beat. A guy asked me the other day, he said, uh, he said, what do you do for fun? So, So I don't fish, I don't hunt, I don't like theme parks, I don't go to the movies. I said, cut grass? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, really. But, but you know what people don't know? You know what they don't know? Cutting grass is my, like my sanctuary. Nobody talking to me. There's nobody out there talking to me. There's nobody messing with me. And I'm in my own little world. I'm outside. It's too hot for my wife to come outside. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just that place. And then cutting grass is like, man, you do something. You know, I go to work, working at Briggs and Stratton, been there about almost 26 years. And you can work all night, and at the end of the day, it didn't you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't accomplish nothing. You remember those nights we worked hard all night, and we did about 100 engines, 78 or something, supposed to be do 200. And you're like, man, it was harder to do less than it is to do more. But see, when I'm, when I'm out cutting grass, I'm like, Man, I'm in my own world, and I can look back and say, yeah. So that's my, that, that's my fun. That's, that's where my fun is. Why, why do people think the Christian life is boring? Why do they think you can't do anything? Why do they think you got to live like we live, like we go live in a hole in a mountain somewhere? Man, I can't imagine doing what they're doing and calling it fun. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. 
You should set aside time for ministry, time for family. You should love the Lord and you should love your family. You should keep a balance. Sound good, don't it? But look, look what happens when you do that. If loving the Lord and loving your family or serving the Lord and serving your family have to be kept in balance, it means the two have become separated. They're on opposite sides of the scale. They're beginning to be weighed against each other. So we can't have a balance. I don't want my, my family to be weighed against the Lord. We can't ever win that one. So, not looking to maintain a balance, but to achieve an alignment. And Moses tells us how to do that. Now, your heart. Your heart. Look at what he said about the heart in Deuteronomy 6 and 6. He said, these commandments are to be on your heart. Let me say this to you. People don't understand how critical the heart is and how important it is in everything. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed what? Thefts, adultery, murders, fornication. He said, all these things come from the heart. So Moses is getting to the root of the problem. And so in, in, in the book of Proverbs, it says, out of the heart flows what? The issues of life. So he said, everything comes from the heart. So Moses said, now the commandments need to be where? On the heart. Let me say this to y'all. If you want to fix your life, start with the heart. Most folks try to fix their life by starting with the hand. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to quit doing that. Guess what? You're going back. You're going right back and keep doing what you've been doing. Because you have not fixed the heart. That's what, that's what uh, uh, Joshua was saying. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe how to do all that is written therein. And see, meditation means to mutter, means to think and to rethink. And basically what he's telling us, what he's saying is, you've got to keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it, and keep thinking on it, keep thinking on it. And at some point, guess what? It gets into your heart. And let me say this to you. Meditation works both good and bad. You can meditate good things and it get in your heart. You can meditate bad things that get in your heart. Remember what I told y'all when I, when, when I was teaching y'all about the heart. The heart, in Mark chapter 4, God compares the heart to the earth. He said, a sower soweth the word. And these are they that are sown by the wayside. And so basically, the earth has no sense, in other words. In other words, if I, if I put, if I, if I sow cotton in the earth, guess what the earth does? Cotton seed. It goes to work trying to make that cotton seed grow, right? If I put a post in the ground, the earth don't know that it's not supposed to make that post grow. So what it does is it starts working on that post until eventually it just rots. That's why it rots, because the earth is trying to make it grow. Anything put in the ground, the earth try to make, make it grow. And so the Bible compares your heart to the earth. In other words, if you sow something in your heart, your heart is going to go to work trying to bring it to pass. So if you sit around and call yourself stupid all day, guess what? Your heart said, let me produce some stupid. Tell me. 
If you hear somebody else continually, consistently call you stupid and you start meditating on being stupid, guess what? After a while, your heart will start to produce stupid in everything you do. I can't. That's why we, don't need, that's why we need to be careful what we tell our children. You can't do that. You won't ever be anything. Those are devastating words from darkness. They came from hell. And they keep your children from life and living. I know because I was told some of that stuff. And being a child, the child cannot protect their own heart. So they, they take in what comes from people in authority. They take it in. They listen to it. And they start to live by it. And so we have to the Bible said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And so Moses is telling us, he said, now, these commandments have to be on your heart. You've got to be determined what you are going to put in your heart. You've got to watch what you allow into your heart. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can be around people, and people will be around you talking, and you'll be receiving. All you've got to do is agree, and you receive what they say. It goes into your heart. So guard your heart. Protect your heart. Moses said the commands have to be on your heart. Because next comes what? Conversation. Once something gets in your heart, you do what? You talk about it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's in a person's heart, listen to them talk. Listen to what they're saying. He's saying, talk about them when you sit at home. Deuteronomy 6 and 7. He said, talk about them when you sit at home. We are talking about family conversation. Don't let your love for, your, for the Lord, your work for the Lord, your giving remain private. Tell your children what you do. Tell them why you do it. Tell them what's going on, why you do what you do. Tell them. Talk about it with your family. Open your heart to them. Let them see as they grow into an appropriate way what passion drives you. You know, it, it don't make sense for a child for you to, you, for, you know, it didn't make sense for, for me when my mama was trying to teach us and raise us and trying to teach us the right thing. It didn't make sense to me for my mama to give me 50 cents and she tell me to put it all in church. And then nothing come back out. <laughs> I mean, if you put money in something every now and then, man, you know, like a candy machine or something, you put, a, put 50 cent in there, a candy bar drop. <laughs> I put 50 cent in church, then nothing happened. So I kept a quarter to go to the store. <laughs> That's what you call half obedience, <laughs> which is disobedience. <laughs> You have obeyed. You didn't. You, didn't, you think you did. You think you made both people happy. But you just disobeyed. Let your children know. Let your children know why you do what you do. Because it don't make sense for a child. They looking at you like, you can put all that money in church. Talk about it. Tell them about your passion. And here's the, here's the number one killer, your example. Let me say this to you. Deuteronomy 6, 8 says, tie them as symbols on your hands. 
your example. Listen to me, folks. It's not what you say. It's not what you say. It's what they see you do. I remember when I was a kid, my mama used to tell me all the time, you know, she'd get lay out all these rules. You know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And, and you know, I listened to mama, but, you know, my mom would tell me as a young man, I was 16 years old, and she would tell me, not don't drink, you know. But then when I went in the refrigerator, there was slits sitting in there. And I was, Wait a minute now. Something ain't quite matching up here. And you know, you think it has no effect on your children. You think you can do what you want and they do what you say, but it don't work that way. Because when I, when I first got my two or three dollars together and got ready to buy some beer, guess what kind it was? <laughs> yeah, when I got ready to try it, that's what it was. That's what it was. And then I want to do like my uncles. You know, they, for some reason, they put salt on the top of the can. They drank a little bit and they lick a little salt. So I tried that. I don't know why they did it. <laughs> it's just like, just, like the, just like the lady that was teaching her daughter how to cook. And she was teaching her daughter how to cook a ham. So she get the ham. And when she, the first thing she did when she got the ham, she cut, the, cut it off. She cut the ham off. And then she put the rest of it in the pan. And so they went on generations doing that. And come to find out, she finally asked the question, why you cut the ham? She said, because my pan too short. <laughs> she thought that how you cook the ham. <laughs> See, sometimes you need to ask. Some, sometimes you need to ask. See, she, 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 she getting rid of good meat. When all you need was a bigger pan. The hands means action. Let your love for the Lord be in your conversation, but also be put into practice through your commitments, your choices. Don't just talk about it, do it. And let me say this to you. Be careful what you talk about when you get home. What they call them, little sponges. Little pictures have big ears, my wife say. Yeah. I'm telling you, they're listening. They're listening. And they're watching. They hear you say, I love the Lord, but then they're watching what you say when you come home. And then, you know, when y'all get around the family dinner and after church is over, y'all go home, y'all sit down to eat dinner, and y'all sitting there getting the preacher down the country, man. And them little children are like, okay. Okay. Then when he get 10, he like, man, you know that preacher ain't worth nothing. <laughs> and then you, hush, boy. And, but he going to say it when the preacher's at the house. Because he don't know no better. He don't know he's not supposed to say certain things. <laughs> he don't know he's not supposed to say certain things out loud. They look at your example. They watch what you do, and they do what you do. Not what you say so much, but what you do. Your family, your family. It says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 9. Okay, bring your children increasingly into this passion that you have. Involve them. 
Let them be a part of it. Allow them to participate. Well, in our house, we weren't allowed to participate. We were made to participate. My mama said, if you're going to live here, you're going to jerk. If you're going to stay here, you're going to church. Whether you want to or not. And every Easter, she bought me that little suit. And I stood up on the stage and said my Easter speech, and I did not want to do it. But I'm telling you, she was teaching me principles. You know what? I want you to think about the people that were made to go to church and the people that are allowed to go to church. And I want you to look at the difference in the children. Yes, I was made to go. And I'm going to tell you this. This is what I learned. This is what I learned. I didn't realize when I was sitting in Sunday school and I would call myself thinking about everything but what that teacher was talking about. And I was in church and the preacher was preaching and I figured out, you know, I'm just sitting there like, you know, and, and the greatest words I ever heard a preacher say was, I opened the doors of the church. I didn't know he was inviting us to come up. I thought we were getting ready to leave. <laughs> so every time he said, we opened the doors of the church, what did I do? I said, they ain't opening no doors. What are they talking about? But you know what? I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that my mama didn't ask me to participate. She made me participate. She told me, you're going to be in the choir. She told me, you're going to Sunday school. She told me, you're going to Antioch and you're going to say an Easter speech. Well, you want to or not. And I'm going to tell you something. I thought that stuff was going in one ear and coming out the other. But I'm going to tell you something. Bring your children. Let them sit. Let them listen. Because it is. God said his word will not return to him void. He said it is an incorruptible seed. In other words, it can be planted while you're three and come up when you're 30. Yeah. Yeah. Allow them to participate. Allow them to be a part. The parents who said we can't enter the land because of our children led their children into the desert. The person that says I can't do this because my children are going to be in jeopardy, you are putting them in the desert. You are putting them in a place where they're going to live in and just barely get along, get by, when they can be in the promised land. They're going to have to be in a place where they got to learn who God is. They got to learn how to trust him. They got to live in all these difficult situations. They got to live where it's dry. And they got to bleed God for water when, guess what? The, the land, the promised land, is flowing with milk and honey. If you just do what he say. If you just obey him. And so, the parents who said, ask for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That was the generation that led their children into the promised land. And you know what? My mama never said that scripture, but guess what? She was saying that scripture. As for me in my house. In other words, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to pretend like you're serving if, if you're not. And so, let the cross explain the passion of your life. As you live with one consuming passion for the Lord, your life will provoke questions. Your life will provoke questions. Moses didn't say 
if, but he said, when your children ask those questions. He said, they're going to ask questions. If you live in a life, if you are living, I'm telling you, not only, not only your children, but people you work around, people you live around, at some point, they're going to ask you a question. They're going to ask you, what is all these, these principles, these laws, these standards? How do you get, how do you, how is it, how does that work for you? And it's going to be your opportunity to tell them. They are going to ask you. Let me say this. If your children are not asking, you might want to ask yourself a question. If you love the Lord God, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, that should be some manifestation in your life. And your children should want to know. And he said, tell them. Look now. Tell them we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. Please, please, let me, let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. A lot of folk don't, don't you know, all of, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't born in a, a Christian home. I wasn't saved when I was born. I, I, had to, I had to become saved. And you know what? I tell my son what I did. I tell him what I could have, what I would have been. I tell him that I smoked marijuana. I tell him that. I tell him that the only reason I'm not a crack, I'm not, I'm not a crackhead, is because of Jesus. I drank alcohol. Yeah, I did. I went to parties. I did all those things. And the only reason why I'm not under the bridge passing a wine bottle is because Jesus never let me get a, a cry and a taste for it. And I'm going to tell you this too. I'll tell you this too. I'm not proud of it, but I'm not all ashamed of it. Because this is what it did for me. When I see the wine oil, it put me in a position where I can't do this. Because I'm dirty myself. When I see the man that's strung out on crack, I can't point my finger because the simple reason I'm not is because Jesus didn't allow me to be. Tell your children what you were. Tell them where you came from. Let them know what you've done. I was a slave. I was a slave. But guess what? The Lord brought me out. Because, see, they look at us as though we've been this way all our lives. And a lot of times they look at you, you're just that way because you're old. <laughs> I've been young. And I've been a fool. And the only reason I'm one, not one now is because of Jesus. Amen. Tell your children. Tell them. Tell them. If it wasn't for the Lord, I would have been a slave. If it wasn't for the Lord, I'd have been an alcoholic. I'd been I'd have been strung out on some kind of drugs. And you know what? Not only that, not only that, I was driving while drinking. He kept me from dying. I'm gonna tell my children. Only reason I'm not crazy is because when I was smoking marijuana, 
It was God between my mind and drugs. I remember those days. I was so high. I said, God, please help me to come down. If you help me come down, I won't never do this no more. And I should have said it to next Friday. Because next Friday, I was doing it again. I was doing it again. I was doing it again. It took God to deliver me. I used to curse every other word. Every other word. Until one day I walked in the bathroom and God opened my ears and I heard it for the first. I had never, I've been saying it all my life, but I never heard it. One day he opened my ears. I went in the bathroom and these men were cursing. I was like, good God. Is that what I sound like? It took God to let me hear it to change me. To fix it. You'll be amazed at how many people don't know, can't hear themselves. Don't know what they sound like. Don't know what it looks like, what, they, what they're doing. If these little young boys knew what it looked like for, them, for their pants to be down here, they pull them up. They pull them up. Tell them why you got a deep passion for God. Tell them how you sustain love and marriage and why are you content. Why, why don't you want a big house on the hill like everybody else? Why are you not striving for all of this stuff? How did you stay married to one woman? That's a testimony, folks. This day and time. Folks don't stay married no more. Matter of fact, they don't even get married no more. They shack and they call it marriage. Tell them. Tell them why you got a passion for God. I can tell them, I, I can tell them story after story. I can tell them about the time when I was driving down 85 and this car stopped in front of me and I went into northbound traffic and God had the angels up on the other end of the road stopping the traffic so that wouldn't nothing come in when I went in the, north, in the northbound lane. Cars didn't start coming until I got over in, in the medium. I can tell them about when I had a stroke and I couldn't talk, but guess what? God fixed it. I can tell them how I lost my job. And I had no means of providing. None. But I never lost a thing. I never had the lights turned off. Never missed a meal. I can tell them that. That I got a passion for God because when I didn't have enough to provide for myself, he took care of me. I can tell them when I, when I lost my family I, and I was sitting somewhere pouting and crying like a child and all this stuff was taken away from me. I can tell you how God gave it back. What I, you know, the Bible said what the canker worm destroyed, God restored Man, I didn't, I didn't get to take my children to school. I didn't, get to, I didn't get to play with them in the yard. I didn't get to do those things. But guess what God did? He sent, he sent some babies. He sent some, he sent some babies. And, 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 and everybody want to know why you stay on second shift. So every morning I can get up and I can ride to the school with the old baby. Ten minutes. I did that for years, 10 minutes, just 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. 
I'm going to tell you something. The devil can't take nothing that God can't restore. Can't take nothing. He can't take nothing. When I lost my mama, I lost my mama. I was 20 years old. She died one day after my 20th birthday. I lost my mama. And I was, my, my mama was my world. She was everything. Mama used to come by the house and bring me a pot of peas. And, and all I had to do was do like I always do, boil me some chicken that I didn't have sense enough to put salt on. And, <laughs> and eat, with old, eat, eat with that chicken. My mama was my everything. And all of a sudden, at 45, 46 years old, mama was gone. But guess what? When mama and father forsake you, the Lord will take you up. This little lady that worked down at the mill, she came to me one day and she said, she said, uh, she said, uh, 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 how, how would you like to start coming down to my house on Sunday? And I start going down her house every Sunday. And guess what? Her children had to eat what I wanted to eat. She asked me, she asked me through the week, what you want to eat this week? She had five children. And, and they ate what I ate. They ate what I wanted. And that lady started inviting me to church. That was the beginning of the changing of my life. I moved to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I, didn't, I was separated from my family. I was away from home. And I didn't have nobody up there but my uncle. And he was living on the other side of town. And I was staying with this old lady. And this old lady, she, she, she took me in. And one day I came home sick, and that lady walked the floor all night long to see about me. When mother and father forsake you, everywhere I went, God gave me a mama. He gave me what I needed. When they ask you these questions, tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them what the Lord means to you. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them you laid in a room for 30-something days with COVID. Didn't know whether you were coming out or not. I laid in a room 30 days with COVID. Didn't know whether I was going to live or die. But guess what? The Lord brought me out. The Lord brought me out. He brought me out. I was, I was, I was unfairly treated on jobs. With pay. I should have been making more money. But I wasn't. But guess what? Remember I told y'all about that scale? God got away. He got away. Tell him the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And everything I have. Everything I have. I receive from him. Everything I have. I know some of y'all want to say I work for what I got. But I tell people all the time, I'm too stupid to do anything. I'm the mannequin in the mall. If God don't move me, I can't move. People don't believe me when I say that. They say, man, how did you get to be the area manager? He said, really, you the plant manager? Now, how did you get that job? I can't, I can't give them an answer. I can't tell them that but God. I, can't, I, I'm not, I don't have a, I don't, 
When you read the job description, it says you have to have a college. It, it says some stuff that I didn't even understand when I applied for it. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. When I read the qualifications, I said, what is that? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how I feel like my application. I'm going to tell you how I feel like my application. I just went in there and put anything on there. I didn't even answer the question right. I'm telling you. Because I said this, I've been here 25 years. They don't know, like the song said, if you don't know me by now, you'll never know me. If I got to send you a resume for you to know me, you don't need to give me this job. I've been here 25 years. I'm going 26. And if you don't know my track record, if you don't know what I do, then give it to somebody else, please, because I'm not going to explain myself to you. And I went to the interview. I was laid back. I was in there talking trash, laughing, acting crazy. And then I came out the meeting and did what the plant manager told me. He said, he said, when I saw your name, it was a done deal for me. He said, interview was just formality. He said, I knew you were my guy. And I have no qualification. All them qualifications that are listed on that thing. I'm a, that's why I tell people, don't pay attention to the qualifications. Apply for the job. Your name might be the only one in there. Live for your family. This is the principle. Live for your family and you'll lead your family into the desert. Live for the Lord and you'll lead your family into the promised land. You'll lead your family into the promised land. Make the decision to follow God. Make the choice to do what he says. Let me tell you something. Even if it don't make sense. Which most stuff God says don't line up with the senses. They don't line up with the senses. Because let me say this to you. When you get to the place where you can figure out God. You have become him. When you can figure out why God does what he does, you have just become him. A man asked me one day, he said, you know, he said, man, I got questions about God. He said, how did he let heaven get out of hand where the devil was doing this? I said, well, when I can understand that, I'm God. I'm not trying to figure that out. I believe he's real. I believe what he says. I'm not going to try to figure out. You know, folk like, folk, a lot of people like Bible trivia. Who is the only person in the Bible that, that didn't have a mom and a dad? I don't know and I really don't care. That has no bearing on my eternal salvation. There's one man I need to know. And his name is Jesus. That's who I need to know. All that trivia. What man walked on the earth and never died? Sound good. I'm impressed with your knowledge. But knowledge puffs up. Make you proud because you can trip me or trap me. But I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to impress you. You know what impresses me more is when Jesus, when, 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 when they describe his disciples, 
they described them this way. These unlearned and ignorant fishermen. That tells me, you know, all these, there's some churches that require a pastor to have a college degree in order to pastor the church. I got to go to their college in order to pastor the church. In other words, I can get your degree and not have Jesus and you'll put me in front of your people. Hmm. I can go get educated and go get one of the biggest churches in the city and be the biggest devil ever lived. Man and his ways, men and their systems. Forget the system, follow God. Don't worry about what they're talking about. Think about the little girl in Columbine. Say right before the man got ready to kill her, he asked her this question. Do you still believe in that God? She said yes. He pulled the trigger and blew her brains out. She could have said no and live, but she said I'm not going to deny the one that has taken care of me and loved me and saved me. I'm better to be there with him than to stay here and deny him. That's how we, the place we need to come to. I'm going to obey God no matter what the cost. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs. That's a big statement. That's a big word. That's a big commitment. And you have to ask God to help you to do it. Ask God today. Ask him right now. I can't love you if you don't help me. I can't do it if you don't do it through me because he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and without me, you can do nothing. I can't do nothing, God, if you don't help me. So, Lord, I just praise you and thank you for helping us, for loving us, for blessing us, for keeping us, for protecting us, for being our God, for giving us, taking us through life, allowing circumstances to happen in our lives so that we could see who you are and we could know that you are faithful to your promise and true to your word. And for that, Lord, I say thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. I bless you for it. I praise you for it. I worship you for it. I honor you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. <coughs>